episode of the Down the Pool podcast. On this episode, I am joined by the president and CEO of York United, Angus McNabb. Welcome back to the show, buddy. Hey, good to chat. Good to chat, mate. It's been a busy uh, pre-season as usual for yourself. One of my first questions is like, um, how far ahead do you plan for your squad building? Like, it seems like as soon as the season ends, you're you're on it. Yeah, I think um, always trying to look. Um, and I think we did business last summer out of necessity, but the plan had always been that there's going to be more movement in summer windows because there's players available in Europe. And then as a result of that, you, you've always got to have a keen eye on like who's available in CPL. Um, and I strongly believe that going into this season, it might be the year that you start to get a little bit of a news, some pre-contracts announcements, even within the league, starting to leak out in that summer window um, as we mature as a league, as we mature as a competition and we get on more of a standard football schedule. And um, and to be honest, when the training wheels come off a bit, um, we've had four seasons now of a lot of disruption um, with COVID. We got through year one. I obviously wasn't here for that, but year two was year two and we made the best of it with the Island Games. Um Certainly wasn't easy with uh, the bubble kickoff last year was still, what are we doing? What are the rules? What's this? What's that at the start of the year? So um, I think in year five, year five a little bit feels like year two, year three still of, of a proper run at it. So I think the uh, we're still in our toddler years um, as far as I see it. But like, yeah, the, the training wheels are off and we're all starting to operate in a in a different way that is uh more what i would say i've come from and more used to in squad planning succession planning and that starts six even 12 months out now um looking at who's willing to sign extensions versus who wants to ride the last year of their contract out and then obviously being prepared and armed with that as you go in and you look at opportunity as it kicks through the summer as well do you see like a time like where like shortly uh, in the short term where you're going to see transfer fees between the clubs and the CPL itself? I don't see why not. In terms of like, we, we would do it. We've done it. Other teams have done it externally as well. I just think it, it's that thing with football business and that people think that there's leaks and the fees that get out and this, that, the other. A lot of it's wild speculation um, in what the fees actually are. Um, we're seeing fees on players departing the league. Um, and we've certainly been a beneficiary of that as well. Um, so, yeah, that or happening within the league is certainly something that could happen if teams feel strongly enough about a player. I think we're more likely to see player trades um, and swaps and people 
doing things that way um, because the salary cap is something you have to manage and transfer fees do count against the cap. So, but it's um, balancing, working through it all. Um, but I don't think it's something that, that won't happen. I think we'll get there quite soon. So is, is, is Martin involved in like every aspect of the transfers? Like is, is he, are you coming to him with um, a couple of options and saying like, who do you like here? Or is he saying, I need a person in this position go get them for me. Is that kind of the, what way does it kind of work for you guys? So, so with 2022, a lot of the players were already signed and Martin knew what he was getting when he came into it. Um, a lot of the work in the interview process was around what was here and um, what we would do and how we would supplement in a, in a few other areas. Um, as the season evolved, as we brought guys in, um, we worked together really, really well. So whether it's Taz, Kevin Santos, uh, whether it's obviously Mo as well, they're obviously signings that are made, discussing it with Martin and seeing what we want at that moment in time in season. At the end of the year for us, we had a lot of people that were off contract. We had a lot of people in option years and it was a case of get together and go like, right, first of all, start one, what does the ideal roster look like? So for us, it's try to look for a couple of options at each spot in our preferred system um, and how they could then translate into other systems. And so, and, and also just availability of things that we saw on the open market, what we could see coming down the pipeline in transfers out, as well as players that we wouldn't retain. And so we, we build from there, really. What does an ideal squad look like? I then chat to Martin a little bit on the on the numbers of it and like the the finances of the cap. What does that look like from an allocation perspective? How much should we be spending at each position? Um, what do we want to make sure that we we don't get in a situation that we're left without with injuries? Um, and, and a lot of hard lessons on that from last year. And then that then morphs into a um, a discussion, um, several Zoom calls lots of WhatsApps back and forward um, between the core coaching staff, myself, Michael Higby and sports science when we get GPS data on players um, and we build up as much as we can um, because Marrow's got fantastic contacts in Portugal um, and in Spain and in other places that can get a view on players. Barry's network in Scotland, the UK, Ireland, stretching into Iceland, Scandinavia from his time there is pretty good. Nashi's pretty extensive across North America, certainly as well. And my own sort of wide sort of network as well through clubs in South, Central America, back in the UK, everywhere else. And just try to do as much diligence as we can before we say, yes, let's go. Um, and then the other bit for us is um, to, to not be shy on making a decision. So, once we feel we're in a good place um, and we're all agreed, we all jump on board. We all sign in. And it's on me to get the deal done. Um, and then sometimes that's as simple as a phone call in August where I ring Nashi on his way to training in the car. He makes me wait five minutes while he gets his Tim Hortons. And uh, <laughs> I say, I say, you ready? I think we've got a chance of getting Mo Babuli. And he goes, yeah, great. If we can get Mo, of course I'll take him. And then he finishes his training session. I say, like, right, he's done. He'll be at training tomorrow. And it goes great. 
other, other times it doesn't happen and, and other times it's a nightmare and we're all a bit frustrated and, and wound up because either we found something out late that we don't want to move on a player um, or um, we just can't get it done uh, and a lot of time that's on me in the deal shape and values change and we have to decide how much do we want to allocate to that position that player um and it sounds really cold how much do we want to allocate to this, to that, but that, that's what it's got to be. There's got to be some rigour and discipline to it. Otherwise, you can end up with a lot of players signed and not much room to go um, at the back end of the roster. So it's a balance, but we do a really good job. I think the staff and the dynamic and the relationship and the trust we've all built up is is pretty good. Yeah, I think like just what you're saying there, obviously trying to find a cap room to bring in somebody like Mazzaguli, you know, you kind of need to have that space just in case something kind of happens or an opportunity comes up like that. I think maybe not not every club would have been able to to, to grab him just because of the way that their squad or, or cap was built. So, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense to have something to spare just in case that magic signing comes along. Because, like, I mean, he changed your season last year pretty much, right? Yeah, I mean, and the cap room piece on Mo has, like, uh, a number of pieces. You know, Obviously, there's the ABSI transfer, which helps us um, because uh, we're able to apply um, what we got in a transfer fee or a portion of that to pay down what we had paid ABSI out already during the year. So effectively, we the way the cap works, we'd rented ABSI for free for the first three, four months of the season until he goes. So we, we have those funds back. Now we use that on... Louis Laurie Latanzio, who's an under 21, who comes in on a, a sort of a, a discount on the cap with his age. And so that helped us um, as well there. And then we, we did other things that were sort of smart and worked for us um, around Cedric to Pacific um, and the salary saving that we were able to make there um, and bringing Baldy in on effectively on loan, which we've really made permanent now in the way that we structured it. So you have to be smart with it. You have to do the right things at the right time. Um, and, and other times, and some part of the bit on that is that um, the plan we presented to Mo, um, we're able to make a compromise on last year um, with agreement and projecting out that he's not going to get left short. Um, most fair market value might be spread over the next two years of his deal. Um, so we get to the right place, but that then falls on the player to make a decision, right, I'll take a, a little bit of a, a short-term hit here because I believe in the project and ultimately that's the trust that Mo put in us and we're very happy that that, that worked. So, you know, in, in terms of like big signings or, or, or kind of like um, ones that stand out, like do you feel like the, the CPL is kind of starting to develop a name itself for itself? Because, you know, we've seen... Uh, Jesse Daly moved from uh, I interviewed him the other day from the A League, which has been established for like a lot longer than the CPL coming to, uh, coming to the CPL, and uh, you, you know you guys signed uh, Stan Fay, who like you know he's kind of like under uh, kind of under the radar sign them, but I mean look at his pedigree, it's, it's incredible. I mean like he, you know he he's he's, he's played for Vitesse in in in, in Holland yeah. and, and things like that, so. You know, is the CPL starting to build up a, a good brand and a good name for itself on the world market right now? It certainly is. And um, 
look, I, I sort of joked, and I've used this phrase a couple of times, it, it, it's really for all the marbles this year with CONCACAF Champions League at the end of it. So if you've got an eight-team league next season and you've got two of eight that are going to make CONCACAF Champions League proper, like that's an incredible platform for players um, and an incredible place to showcase their talents. So that's a great piece that all eight of us have to speak about um, in the opportunities that we're creating for our players. And then also ourselves, Pacific, Cavalry, some really solid player sales last year throughout the season. Um, Diaz going to Norway, a great sale. It feels like an age ago, but what Tommy managed to do and, and get done with Abraham Pebble um, as well across to the UK. That, And I think that just shows how quick this league is moving in that how long ago that feels, but yeah. it's six, seven months. Um, and I think that's the the pace of it is that sometimes um, we are a little bit short-term in our memories of these things. And so some big successes there. And then ourselves with Ronan recently, Isaiah, Abzi, Lowell, um, it, it was successful on that front last year. You know, you're looking at, um, obviously you had uh, Willie Akio going to, and the Tory going to, uh, to Scotland too. So, you know, it, it just it just amazes me. Like, I mean, so when you're talking to like Lasana, as I said, like I mean, this pedigree is incredible. When you're kind of looking at it, like, what, what, is that what you're selling him? Is that like you know, also you're not going to pay him probably as much as what he would get in Europe, but then you also have, you know, that kind of uh, carrot of the Champions League. Is that what he? Is that the reason why you think he would want to come over here? That's certainly there a showcase. Um... Look, the, the other part from Lasana is he's found himself in a really unfortunate situation in the last six, 12 months. He's played in yeah. Holland, but he also ended up a club in, in Ukraine. Ukraine. Uh, same club that Osazo was at. Um, not much crossover between them, but um, look, he, he's looking for a new football in future. And much as we're speaking about the under-21 talent that we're playing in our league and everything else, look, the European market is much more of a mishmash and sort of thrown together of uh, people that you're looking at and scouting for your team in an area the same size as Canada. Look at that population where soccer's the primary sport. And ultimately, if you're a first or second division club in any of those countries that you sort of trace Canada over in sort of Western into Eastern Central Europe, um, that's a hell of a population playing football. So it's very competitive. So look, it's opportunity. It's a different opportunity. It's a different pathway. And um, sometimes you can appeal to a little bit of a sense of adventure of these guys in that, like, you know what? Why not try something new? It's not taken to me to where I feel I can be. It's not taken to me where I feel I've reached my potential. So let's try something different. And I, I think that adventurous spirit of some of these players really comes into it. You're selling a great country. Look at any of these lists, top 10 places to live in the world. How many times is Canada in the number one, two or three in that? Um, and then we've got the big city on top of that as well in Toronto to pull people to and show nice pictures of the lake and the tower and all of that stuff. And yeah, it's a pretty powerful pitch. <laughs> love it, I love it, I love it. So, you know, um, just kind of looking at the uh, the kind of like last season, you know, you, you started the season off really well and you kind of had that blip and then obviously finished off with a stronger but you know, 
as the CEO, like you're kind of you do feel a bit of pressure when things aren't going so well on the pitch. Like the, you know, so how do you turn off the noise of you know? I'm sure there's like there was a couple of moans about Martin and the way he was doing things. Like so, how do you block out that noise for yourself, knowing that obviously you're hiding for a reason and he has a project in mind? It'd be very easy to make knee-jerk reactions. Um, there are a couple of things that help us. Um, one, we don't have promotion and relegation. So there was never any threat other than um, four teams don't sell tickets. We felt a little bit of the pain there. No two ways about it. Um, we felt pain there for me throughout our history. It drives me up the wall that we've never won three consecutive games as a club in our entire history. That's not acceptable. That's something that I believe, I truly believe we'll fix and go on a run beyond that next season um, with what we're putting together. And I think, look, when you have the full context and you have full control over, uh, not necessarily full control, but full visibility on everything that goes on in your football club every day, you know you've got the right people. Um, and it, where it goes wrong in football is when someone is fired and they point fingers and there's blame and there's this and there's that. Where it goes right is that if you have to make that hard decision and make a change, you can both say that you gave all the support that was needed. They put in all the work. Their staff were diligent. Circumstances just didn't align. And there are times that happens. And good people who have long careers in football, it's more that than the sort of like knee-jerk, pointing like that that side of it and where it sits I think with us with Nashi we started well um well in terms of we didn't start great in terms of we lost opening game to Halifax in terms of one nil it was a penalty um when we look at it I think we outperformed them that night in terms of when you look at most of the metrics we do and we rely on in terms of the game data so expected goals is the big one um and expected assists so what we're doing, what we're creating, we were pretty happy with. Um, we then, Edmonton, the week after, Osarze gets a great goal. We don't see it out. That's not good enough. That's frustrating. Um, we then, some good results against a very good cavalry team. Um, decent performances against Forge, things like that. And then we hit a run of injuries that I, I still can't explain. Um I think a lot of it, a legacy of uh, not having the greatest preseason, um, and preseason disrupted with COVID, disrupted with injuries for players. Um, we were thin from the off, really, in that season um, last year, with something like Mateo's suspension um, at the end of the Halifax game, getting the red card as well. That didn't help him, so he's had a concussion in preseason. A horrible time getting into the country over the previous 18 months. Yeah. And then he gets suspended. So he was up against it from the off and didn't settle and things there. So you you got someone who's struggling from that point settling in country. You got other guys who are just finding their feet, getting up to speed. People also forget that he scores whatever it was, 12 goals last year, but the first Six games. That's the first time in Osaze's career he's played six consecutive games um, as a as a professional. So he then goes on, and we see the growth in guys like him, 
we see the growth and sort of like others as well. It was unfortunate. You feel the pressure, but as long as you know that people are working, people are putting in and doing things right. Um, yeah, you want you. There's some there's some really dark moments. Like um, my mood was horrible. Um, my attitude to the kids was miserable. Um, <laughs> attitude at home, like and like in terms of it, it genuinely it was bad in terms of like. I, I I couldn't hold a conversation with my wife with my kids when that game was on because you're it's not just you're wrapped up into it you uh, there's a vicious side to your personality where you're so pissed off that it's not going right and so you feel pressure that way um, it's forced onto those closest to you um, and that's not right and that's not great at all um, but you just got to have this resilience and confidence that there are people in there doing the right things. And if you don't have that, that's when you need to make change, either yourself and you disappear um, or, or others around you and you have to make personnel changes that are hard. But I always knew with Martin that he was doing absolutely everything right. And it was the worst run of luck and circumstance that I've ever seen in a football club with injury. Um, and some of it as well was a young team. Um, some of it was a young team that took time to mature. And then there, there were big moments through the year in that started all right, hit a horrible bit of league form, but in amongst that league form was us going further than any other club in the CPL in the CanChamp last year. And nil-nil for 55, 60 minutes against Vancouver. I thought Absey had done the Hollywood ending and I thought he had scored that free <laughs> kick on the left and it crept in um, and we were going to hold it out. We didn't. Um, we were at a point where, as Chad and Ashley, we might have unloaded the bench and played a few more of the young lads at 2-0 down um, with 10 minutes to go. But Isaiah scores and 2-1 against that Whitecaps side wasn't, wasn't a bad result and it was a good performance. We then, off the back of that, got into another run that we were exhausted. We were thin already and we really needed the transfer window to open to get Ronan, Taz, Louis... Kev Santos into the squad and freshen things up a bit. We also needed other guys to come back and get fit. Um, I think one point that's massively, massively lost on our season last year is because people focus on Mo's addition. I felt that in 2021, Max Ferrari was the under-21 oh, player yeah. of the year. But I, 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 I think there was some bias placed on finals performance and not the 28 games of the regular season. And across 28 games, it was max. Um, and so Alejandro Hodgepaul's phenomenal player, good on him winning that award. But I think you ask anyone, that was Max's award. We didn't have him last year in terms of like, he was injured so much. Um, and it's just unlike Max because he's normally really resilient and available for everything. So all of that, Look, it's a hard luck story, but the final 14 games of the season, we just left it too late with the best record in the league that last 14 games, and we're proud of that. Yeah, I mean, like just with Max Ferrari there, I mean, like I, was, I watched them destroy Halifax a few times, so I know exactly what you're talking about. But, you know, like, like Miss Nell, and, and it, was, it was kind of patchy. He seemed to come back for a game or two, not seeing himself at all. 
and then be off injured again. So uh, I, it, it, that's I can see where you're coming from with that. But um, you know, just talking about like the the business side of things, you kind of touched on season tickets and stuff like that. So you know, is it getting any easier uh, getting bums on seats at your clients or you know, I know you've, there was talk of the, the switch to Woodbine. So, um, if you could just tell us where that project is and, uh, you know, what you see for next year at York Line. Yeah, in terms of next year at York Line, it's more of the same in, in some ways. In that, um, it's not our long-term home. They're phenomenal partners at the university. They do everything they can to work with us. Um, but it's not perfect. Um we're also working now around TFC2 fixtures, Toronto Arrows fixtures. Um, it's a sort of mixed. Everyone sits there. There's no real pecking order in terms of primary tenancy. Um, it's a student facility. The students are the primary tenants. So we have to work around that. It's not ideal. Um, we also have other events on campus like the Rogers Cup tennis that kill us a little bit in August and things like that. So it's not ours. So... It's not ours. Every day, every hour we're in the building, it's a cost rather than a stadium and infrastructure that is a revenue stream for a club. And when you have that as a cost, you, you very much are a, but you're a renter. They're the landlord. Um, they're a great landlord, but it's still not ours. So the Woodbine plan is to do something that is truly ours, that helps us put a lot more things and look if you've got York United branding around everything and people are in there seven days a week community rentals other aspects they're seeing you you're building a brand you're doing all the right things and that matters in a crowded market like the GTA with a lot of uh, choice and people having a lot of options where to spend their like, hard-earned cash we have to do a better job creating a better experience but it's hard when you've got to roll it in, roll it out every game. Um, so, look, we want to get there. We're making great progress. We're going, Jim Lawson and his team are fantastic. Um, there is no news. There is no timeline or anything else to announce other than, look, we, we have the previously stated MOU with Woodbine where we are looking to build a soccer-specific stadium there with them. Um they're great people to work with. We've really enjoyed it so far. They've been out to a couple of games with us last season and they love it too. Um, so, yeah, we just continue to push on with that. Um, when there's news, we'll be the first people to shout it from the rooftops. But there are a number of things that we've got to get in line for this and, and work on um, that we just continue to do so on a daily basis. I'm sure, you know, as you said, uh, that the, the fans of York and just having your own home stadium, you know, like even with, with Halifax, so like, you know, we're trying to get a, more, a permanent one here, but, you know, the, the one ground feels like ours, if you know what I mean, like you walk in, there's one branding everywhere and it, it just feels like it's a Wanderer stadium where, you know, like that kind of thing where you're sharing with KC2 and Toronto Arrows, you know, it'll never feel that way, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's obvious, the seats are red. Like, it's not ours. Like, it, it's really obvious when you look at it. It, it. It's not ours. We do our absolute best um, to piece it, make it feel like ours, and our supporters groups are, are growing. Um, but we're not a... Uh, we're not a one-team town. Like, <laughs> there's a hell of a lot goes on in Toronto, and 
when you look at April when we kick off, we're we're absolutely everything. We've got every major North American league that there is in Canada within minutes of us. Um, and that's a challenge. Um, there is no two ways about it. That's a challenge. And I think when you play in a university stadium, we want to shout about being Canada's tier one professional league, playing at a university stadium that's not been built for us. That's not it. Like, and we know that's not it. Um, and that's why we're addressing it with a plan moving forward to truly build something that, and I think the other bit that's lost on some of this with Woodbine is that what they, they are looking to do with rail infrastructure um, and things to make the stadium accessible, but also what they would build there um, in this new community at Woodbine, the residential side, professionals and people being there, the casino, the racetrack, the mall, everything that sits there. That's something unique to our league and we've got to get that right and make sure that, and I've chatted to Mark Noonan about this and he put a great phrase on it, in that we've got to make sure that when we build this, it's a cathedral to football in Canada and and possibly the first like true one that's ours um, and really build something special. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm really excited to see where it goes and, and you know, it, it's kind of cool seeing this happen alongside what they're trying to do in Halifax. So, you know, like the more stadiums we have that are football specific, uh, specific is, 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 is going to be better. So um, I, I did want to ask you, uh, obviously, like the sad news uh, of uh, Edmonton um, disappearing off the face of Canadian football. Um, how did you think that whole thing was handled by the league and what lessons do you think are the league has learned from what happened in Edmonton. I think the league handled it, and look, people will, people are always going to criticise, um, and that's fine. That's the prerogative to do so. Um, how did the league handle it? And I will say, from being a board of governors member um, and someone who's there on behalf of our ownership group, and try to direct them the right direction. I, I genuinely, I'll tell you, everyone around that table handled it fantastically because it would have been a lot easier for them to say, no, nah, I'm not writing a check. You're done. In terms of like, and, and I think that's lost on people in the, like, in a time where, look, we've not been able to fill stadiums. We've had to start in bubbles. We've had to do all of these things. These other owners around the table, like, put in real dollars and real cash. Um, and it's not like it's funny money, like in some leagues and you trade in imaginary currency. No, this is real dollars to pay people to make sure all vendors were taken care of in the city of Edmonton and everything else. Um, way beyond the front office, way beyond the playing staff. There's a community beyond that that these guys stepped up and funded. Um we thought that we were there a number of times. Um, but look, ultimately, when you look at the commissioner's statement, we believe Edmonton is a great soccer market in this country. Um, but we believe it's a great soccer market with the right plan in place. And Clark Stadium, as it currently stands, I, don't, I agree. I don't think it is the plan. I don't think it is the template that's going to captivate that city, make the city have a sense of pride in their local football team. Um, and drive things on. So 
I think everyone around the table there at Board of Governors, we're very, very excited for the future of Canadian soccer and the future of soccer in Edmonton. But it's got to be done right. And it was a hard decision. But ultimately, I think it was the right one. And I don't really think there was another one to make at that moment. In yeah. time. That makes sense. Um, so you, you, I kind of wanted to uh, get a couple of uh, uh, listener uh, questions in here too. So um, I, I guess like one of my one more question, like just to finish off, would be uh, what would you consider a successful season for yourselves next year? Winning it, <laughs> right? That's success in terms of like I honestly, um, I, I look at other teams around this league in terms of like we've just got to look to our neighbours down at Forge. Success is for them winning perennially, and that's where we want to be. Um, we've retooled. We have a slightly older roster this year. Um, and look, we, we want to win it in terms like the, there can be no more playoffs as success. Playoffs is a unique thing to North American sport. Success in the rest of the world is winning. Um, soccer is a global game. We're about winning. And so that will be incremental. We have to bring a team in. They have to perform. Um, but we judge it the same as everyone else. It's three points every week. And hopefully that adds up and you're know, top of the street at the end of the year. Okay. Um, so first question I have, and I guess this would be probably one of mine too. Uh, why did you break Halifax Hearts in stealing JGL from us? Um, a follow-up for that would be like, how excited are you though? Like a, a joking aside to, to see that midfield pairing of Elijah Dekubi and JGL together. Yeah, if it's those two. I mean, Baldy's some player as well. Yeah, true. Like, let's, true. Not, let's not forget him in terms of like what he can do. I think those guys really can do something. Um, I think that's a nice rotation so far. We're looking at something else that might come in there in the middle as well. Um, we've obviously got Mo ahead of it, but like, yeah, Jeremy's a great player in terms of like, you, you chat to anyone around the league and um, he's someone that you'd want. Um, I think what he can do with his left foot, um, he's great on the ball. He's very composed. Uh, he's got a little bit of devil in him, which is useful as well. Like he's not like a flash pushover. Like he, he's got a bit about him. Um, and then I, I, I said again, I've mentioned this the other day. You chat to anyone else, Jeremy the player, great class, really technical on the ball. Uh, boys really looking forward to playing with him. Um, one of the guys that surprised me on that was probably Taz. Taz is really keen to play with him. Said he was class in terms of like when he's watched the league, when he's played against him. Taz was like, yeah, that's a great pickup. Keen to play with him. Um, keen to get to know him. But when you then chat to other people about Jeremy off the pitch, everyone's like, what a gentleman. What a great bloke. We'll drive your training environment. We'll do everything there. That's the exciting bit. Elijah's similar. Real competitor. Like, he's fun. He, he makes the place lively. Um, he's just a good bloke um, and baldy as well on that front. He's maybe not as vocal as Elijah or whatever else, but he can play football in terms of, and when you look at some of the statistics about him in retaining possession and being that really important little cog to recycle and start things again in sequences, he's a really exciting bit as well. So happy with all three of them. I think that's a, a really solid middle. And then we build out from that with 
some really nice sort of players ahead of that as well. Um, and everyone's Mo, Osaze, Brian, Reach getting fit again, but um, like young Marky that we signed is the like League One young player of the yeah. year. He's going to be exciting. Like he can play football. So we expect him to play a decent part this year um, and get good solid minutes. Um, and then Clemon as well on that right side is uh, one that we've announced in more recent, might even be the last one we announced, but Clemon, um, really excited to get him back from Norway as well, get him buying into the project and uh, really give him to the opportunity to, to play games and shine, which we really believe he can do. Yeah, he was another, he's another one with a kind of uh, a really good pedigree. Like, I think, you know, he was around uh, uh, Montreal and, uh, you know, he played a couple of MLS games, I think, and then he went off to, to Norway. So, I mean, that was a really good ticket for his team. So, um, a, I like him as well. He scored a penalty against Forge in the shootout. So, you can't beat that either. <laughs> uh, so, uh, this one is from, let me see here. Uh, this is from Ono Callahan. Uh, who's your favourite work colleague? Colleague's a good word for Owen. Hey. <laughs> um, like it's, that bloke in the office that's always waving and smiling at you, but it's great you get to see him, like, see the back of him at five o'clock on a Friday. Uh, <laughs> nah. um, no, it's somebody like, look, we've got a great staff in terms of we genuinely have a great staff who care both front office and coaching staff and, uh, I really enjoy working with a lot of them. Um, not really got a favourite. It depends who's done what I need that week. Um, but uh, <laughs> there are they are again genuinely. They all care and they're all about the project, which uh, I think a lot of uh, a lot of front offices, a lot of team presidents, a lot of ownership will say around this league um, that makes it really special. Uh, this one's from Thomas Hewitt on on Twitter. This is obviously on the back of uh, Dominic Sator moving to Poland. Uh, when can we expect more signings at uh, centre-back? Um, I would say probably between now and the start of the season. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a good bet. Uh, but yeah, in, in the nicest possible way, you, you can expect them when they're announced. Um, we have a long window in the off-season in Canada. And I yeah. think... Uh, Everyone gets a little bit trigger happy in terms of everyone's like really after the news, 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 news and a constant stream of it, um, which I get. Um, but look, it, when it's the time to announce, we will do. Um, there's, a, there's a few things in the works. So uh, to, to be announced, um, this one's from Kyle Pacheco. Is there a possibility of reaching out into the Brampton League? There's a large number of footy fans there and York Line Stadium is only a 20 minute drive from downtown Brampton. Yeah, I mean, we, we've got a lot of players from Brampton um, and, and there are people who come from there. I think look, our biggest advantage and our biggest challenge is the size of the population that sits on our doorstep. It's a great advantage. You look at all metrics, you think, I've just got to capture a little bit of this. Um, a little bit of that, but how do you capture that? Like, what does he want us to do in Brampton? Because outdoor advertising, we, we can't do it the same way as Halifax in that 
we've got we don't have the defined city center to the pitch that we could choose to own um there are that many traffic ways thoroughfares everything else that it's impossible it's a five six million dollar media buy to do some of these things that people say oh could you just do this in the gta like it doesn't work that way um and focusing in, in zeroing in on one area, it, it's pretty inefficient and it won't work. So we've tried things across digital marketing. We've tried a lot of things in targeted ads across Instagram, Facebook, you know, TikTok, other areas. And, and that's why we invest so heavily with our team, with Owen, with Rob, with those guys on what we do on social media, um, because that does get us talked about. That does have organic reach. Um, and that organic reach and word of mouth is worth a lot more to us um, than someone just seeing a banner and add this, that, the other. So, um, look, it's hard. It's the market we operate in is very hard. It's very different. I would say only uh, the new Vancouver franchise will have an idea of that um, because everyone else operates in a little bit of a regional silo to what we face with the GTA um, and where we are. Have we, have we talked about you and Owen just jumping into a car with a loudspeaker on it and just driving around Brampton and Mississauga? And... <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure anyone's understand me. Um, <laughs> takes a while and I've got to speak slowly. Um, I'm not sure a megaphone's the best use of that. Yeah, I suppose that Owen would be a terrible person to sit beside you doing that. Uh, <laughs> It'd be, like uh, it'd be like Geldof at Live Aid if we did it with Owen. <laughs> Give me your fucking money. Uh, <laughs> so this one's from uh, Ryan Brooks, who's a, I guess, he's a York City fan. And I think, I really love the fact that you guys have made this connection with York City. I love it. It's a, And like your fans can look out for each other's results and stuff like that. But he wants to know, is there a, any chance of a friendly? there's all the chance in the world. We've just got to make it work. Um, I think it's great. I mean, we had uh, guys from York City come to, I want to say it was our game against Valor in Winnipeg, and they brought us a York City jersey, uh, brought us some York gin, um, and it was awesome. And we did a little bit of a swap with one of the boys' game on jerseys and things like that with them. And look, it's awesome. Um, but in look, playing a friendly against them, that's where I can look at it with the club and if it makes sense. But what I love about this is it's organic and it's support group driven. Yeah. Um, and that's how culture is established in football. It's not me dictating it as someone who runs a club as a marketing exercise. It's groups of fans reaching out to each other and building something together. That's far more powerful and that'll have like much like deeper claws and stronger roots, as it were, like than anything that I would do as a, as a marketing exercise. So I love that that's happened. Um, I'd love to build on it. Aligning their season, our season, things like that will be tough, but who knows? I mean, we, we've always chatted about doing free season in the UK, but it's not warm weather training, but people play football in the UK, in Ireland, in Scotland, in January and February. So it is an option for us to pre-season one time and maybe that could happen. Amazing. Uh, I really hope it does. I kind of, I kind of like the way that, as you said, it's been organic, it hasn't been enforced by anybody. Um, this one's a, I have to ask these questions. So 
Why is there a persistence? This was from a guy called Nicholas on Twitter. Why is there a persistence with international players when, for the large part, their domestic players have thrived? <laughs> no, it's, look, it's a fair question. Um, I just, some of it is um, what's available. Um, and yeah, some of our domestic players have thrived, but you know what? Some of our international players have done well. Um, and I think it's, they've done well relatively. So look, our, our salary cap's not published thing. Um, let's just say some of the misconception on the mega bucks internationals is very, very wide of the mark. Um, some of these guys are coming here and making a salary sacrifice for opportunity. And they're taking as much of a risk as we are. And it doesn't always work out for them. I think, um, like, define that on the international bit. I think, and he was unlucky that he's not back with us this year. Sebastian Gutierrez, for example, scores a wonder goal that beats Forge 1-0. Scores a really nice, important goal to seal out a win at Pacific later in the year. Um, is unlucky with injury and gets injured at the worst time when he's absolutely busting his balls and working so hard for the team when we're going on a bad run. So define these internationals that don't work and throw in a net across it like that. We've had some domestic players that haven't worked as well. That's just football. That's what it is. I think the limiting factor that we have is that we have 23-man squads and a first team. We've not got a bench of academy depth and everything else that other teams then can call on. And we do our best with what we have. Um, and we all, we obviously recruit and we add people that we've always thought would make a genuine difference. Um, some of the internationals, like I genuinely, I still sit here gutted that Adrian Ugariza didn't come into the country. He's just called up to a Peru squad and gone to Cristal in Peru, the, the top club in the country. And that's two years after he should have been with us. Um, and he's absolutely flourishing and thriving and COVID and all the visa situation around that's robbed us all of him. Um, but delighted for Adrian because what a good bloke he is. But that's how it's worked out. So, look, why do you persist with internationals? Some of it is what's available at the price point we're speaking about versus domestic talent that's not proven. Um, some of it is because we think it's a real opportunity to add some pieces to our squad that we can't find in the domestic market. Um, it's a balance. It's a 23-man squad across a, a price point, genuinely, in the recruitment market that is going to be hit and miss. It just is. And some of it might be nothing to do with football and quality and everything to do with how that guy settles in the country. So that's why we persist with it, because you can be Pacific and earn a record transfer fee for someone like Diaz, or, and that's, that's the way it goes. Like it, it's doing things for the right reasons, like we said, and following process, because we feel the rewards are there. And we genuinely do believe the rewards are there. I think you look at it, why do we persist with internationals again? Morelli, Bassett, Diaz. Like, that's the last couple of years. That's Golden Boot and MVPs. Yeah. I, I think as well, uh, um, what you just kind of touched on there, like the effect that 
COVID has an awful lot of stuff too. I mean, like, you know, the economy of people wanting to have the, the ability to settle when, when they then do get into Canada through all the visa stuff, they then can't leave if something happens at home. And it's just that kind of, you know, I've been through it, you've been through it. Like, like yeah. I couldn't go home for two or three years. And it's just that worry of if something happens at home, you're not going to be there for it. So I, I get it. And I, you know, me personally, I'm not trying to like kiss your ass here or anything like that. But I think that the fact that you're willing to take a chance on somebody who might come in and be the next Morelli, I think that's what we're all here for, really, isn't it? I mean, like, you know, like Halifax took a chance on, as you said, Morelli could end up being, you know, unfortunate the way William Wallace was. And, you know, he had, well, he basically got injured too, but he also looked like he had like, two good seasons, right? So, um, no, and you look at, I would say, a chance on, on a Morelli, but you look at, look at Ollie Bassett, what he's done. Like, yeah, he's won, he's won a regular season title at Ottawa. He's won a league MVP there, and he's won a title at Pacific. Now, he comes having played in Northern Ireland and regional leagues in New Zealand. That's a great job by the guys there at Pacific and ultimately the, the league's programme with the 21st club at that time, identifying him and putting him on all of our radar. And that's my fault. That's everyone else in this league's fault. Not taking him initially when he went to Ottawa. And then again, not working out a deal to get it done. And fair play to Fernando and JD and everyone at Ottawa to pull him in and seeing something that turns him into a league MVP last year. And fair play to Ollie as well. Good on him. Right. Yeah, I mean, like, like I haven't talked. I, I, I did an interview on just before the start of last season and I, I, it was the fact of that he had like a, a two-year contract where a lot of people were offering him one. I think that's another thing that people don't realize that you know stability is a is a huge factor sometimes. And the way that the league is is that you don't always get that because of the cap because you're trying to move your pieces. It's like a big chess game, and unfortunately, you're going to have pawns and all that. So it's just the, yeah. the way it is, unfortunately. So and, and some of the internationals are some of them are great. Some of them that aren't yeah. on our roster this year. Louis Laurie Latanzio could not have done more for us last year. Um, it just, it's not quite a fit with the direction we're going on a few things moving forward and some of the opportunities that present themselves with uh, Marky, with Clermont, with other players that we'd, we'd like to see back at the club with Kev signed as well. Um, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily quite fit and quite work. And he, for us last year, was a bit of a Swiss army knife. But he came to us as like a, a sort of a nine and a half, if you describe it really, as a nine and a half, a 10, someone who played a lot for Melbourne off the bench in A-League, in Asian Champions League and those kind of things. But it just didn't quite work as a fit. The Edmonton guys that we had on loan and things there, everyone knows Toby's a good player. Yeah, It's just not quite a fit for where we are. And with what we're looking to do and looking at, where we now are, the option price, some of the other factors that people don't see, like I'm pretty happy that where we've got to in that for that initial forward group, and hopefully there's like, even something else that we'll announce there as well. But like with those stars, hey, Brian, Reach, that's pretty strong, right? And Brian coming in, I think people see more. There's a difference between him and Toby, and what we were after there. And yeah. with what we've put with Clem on there on the right side as well, we didn't need 
And it wasn't right for Toby. Toby wanted to play as a centre forward. With us and where we were, he might have been dipping out to that right side a hell of a lot more in that. It's just not the fit. So it's not that someone's a good or a bad player or an international's this or an international's that. You, you've just got to back and work with your staff on what we feel is the best path forward and what we feel is right for us in that moment. We might get it wrong, but we've got a process behind it and we're making the decisions for the right reasons. Um, and that's, again, what we've got to look at is that we've all agreed on it, we've all bought into it, and it's not me, it's not Martin, it's not any of the other staff vetoing or yes or no. It's like, right, we've all done this collectively and we've all put it on the line. This is the direction we want to go in. So, you know, I, I, I really appreciate like your, your openness and, you know, like you, you and Derek are very similar in the way that you, like, you know, you don't have to be so open with the way that the, the inner workings of how this works. But I think fans appreciate like knowing uh, the, so the reason behind some of the decisions that come along. So my last question, uh, this one actually comes from the second best goalkeeper in York United, uh, Nico Giansopoulos. Uh, he, he, wanted, <laughs> he wanted to know, um, um, it's an awful question too, he wanted to know which show do you prefer most, uh, footy first or down the pub? <laughs> I said the last <laughs> line. <laughs> but to, be, to be honest, he's not invited me on footy first. So, like, he's not really, he's not kissing up to the boss really there, is he? And playing to the ego. So, whereas you guys, like, one, and we've met for a beer, whether it's in Halifax or whatever else, I'm fond of a pub. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, you can't do that. Him inviting me to a sterile studio in Toronto versus uh, the promise of having a chat and then meeting for a beer later in the year is always a win. Yeah, as I said, I I I honestly t- I told him that the, the last line was the best podcast in the world. He is so uh, in terms of like Nico though, in terms of this, it, for a while sort of Cam, my son, came obsessed with going in goal. Um, so it, it's been good for him. and Nico's been great in terms of with Cam and like having a laugh and little bits and pieces <laughs> and yeah, he actually last year he was very very kind and uh, he signed a pair of gloves for Cam which like made his made his year last year and things there so um like nico's just a good bloke and a guy that we're really happy is around the place and that's like a small insight into like him as the person and like him as the guy and and another really important guy for our group um because that's the kind of uh that's the kind of bloke he is in terms of you realize that that makes someone really happy and he uh, went out his way to help us out with that and do it. So I, I'm really appreciative of, of that from him as well. Yeah, he did the same thing in, uh, in, in Halifax. Um, there was, like, he kind of hung around afterwards. His family was in town, we were watching him and he went over and he was signing some stuff for some kids, which, you know, uh, he didn't really have to do because obviously he's staying away from home. So uh, he's, he's a really good guy and, you know, he's one of those kind of people that just, uh, helps to, to drive the league on with, uh, with engagement and, and stuff like that so uh, Angus I really appreciate you taking the time to do this man I, it's, I, I know it's been a couple of times you've been on the show but I do really appreciate the fact that we get to see get to listen to the inside workings of one of the clubs and you know I appreciate your openness on the situation in Lidlands and stuff like that man. so uh, good luck with the season uh, I'm sure you've got another 400 players to sign before it starts so uh... no, no. <laughs> honestly we're I think we we set a record and like honestly people are having a bit of fun with it. 
last year. <laughs> um, we, we don't want that this year. We want our, our core group of 23. Um, we want guys to succeed. And if there's opportunities for them elsewhere as a result of their success, we'll deal with that along the way because it'll be good for us. Um, but we want a tighter group this year, less injuries, more consistent. Nashi actually looking down the substitutes bench and knowing the people that are on it rather than them arriving and being getting, <laughs> and being handed a tracksuit 20 minutes before. Um, like we, we, we want a bit of stability uh, this year and uh, that, that's definitely, uh, definitely where we want to be. I don't want, I don't want to do, honestly, mainly because the paperwork like that you have to do in a football <laughs> transfer is like, there's a lot of it, pal. There's a lot of it. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure Mero probably thought well, at one stage you'd have to uh, don the boots again. So, um, Mero, yeah, so... Mero wouldn't get a game. Barry Smith's ahead of him. <laughs> Barry can still do it. Mero's back's always going. Barry Smith, Nashi, Nashi always pulls a quad when he tries to kick a ball a bit too much. But like Barry, Barry slipped in a little bit in unopposed and he looked pretty good. Love it, love it. Well, thanks, Mel, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, keep in touch, and I'm sure uh, I'll see you in Halifax, bud. Get out! Out to fuck!